1: Yep, this all new service hub from HubSpot brings customer service and support together in one simple but powerful platform so you can deliver the best experience possible. And of course, it's powered by AI, not Al, AI, meaning your team can automate those tedious tickets from people who've clearly not read your frequently asked questions. Pain in the backside, aren't they? Oh, and by the way, organisations using HubSpot Service Hub are resolving tickets 13 times faster, helping them to close 42% more tickets per day. That means increasing retention by more than 80%. Thank you, people at HubSpot who who did the maths on that one, because I wouldn't be able to.
0: I love a bit of data. Did you also know, Al, that it consolidates your entire internal knowledge base into one place? So no matter who is working on support, they'll have the answers at their fingertips.
1: I did know that because I wrote that for you.
0: you well there you have it stand out from the crowd and migrate to hubspot service hub today
1: visit hubspot.com slash service and learn how this all-new solution can help you deliver for your customers
2: we need the elon musk high hds people you know in our world
0: Hello, and welcome back to the Truth, Lies, and Workplace Culture podcast, where we delve into the complex world of people and culture and try and make sense of it all. My name's Leanne. I'm a business psychologist.
1: My name's Al, and I am a business owner.
0: And welcome back. Hello. Hi.
1: So, if you're a regular listener or you've listened to the last two episodes, you realize I've been talking a lot about Twitter and the Twitter layoffs. Now, What's What's interesting is we spoke in over those last two episodes to three experts, and they made some really interesting observation on Elon's psychology and behaviours.
0: And how would you rate Elon Musk's empathy in his approach? (laughs) (laughs) Um, if there was zero, so a lack of empathy. Does um Mm -hmm. do you associate that with anything else?
1: Well, obviously being married to a psychologist, which is sitting to my right, then I would say something like a sociopath or a psychopath. Like I'm I'm made to think of Wolf of Wall Street guy or Jeff Bezos or someone who's just very single minded and probably, yeah, it doesn't have much empathy.
0: To put it simply, I guess sociopaths are known more for being hotheads. um, So they lack remorse. Um, Guilt and empathy can be present in some cases. uh, Whereas in contrast, psychopaths are known for being more cold-hearted and tend to have a complete lack of guilt, remorse, or empathy. Um, They don't tend to, to... Feel emotion. So, with that, they tend to be a bit more manipulative, narcissistic, and typically very charming, uh, which is often why they're they're usually quite successful people um, and will maintain what looks like a a normal life um and of course popular culture would leave us leaders to believe um that psychopaths and sociopaths are violent not all psychopaths and sociopaths are violent and not all violent people are psychopaths or sociopaths um the prevalence is actually only about one percent of the population it's interesting
1: to say one percent because that that's a small amount but still quite a large amount if the average person's got say 500 um facebook friends or they're followed on Twitter by a thousand people, that means like five or ten of the people who follow them are sociopaths or psychopaths.
0: Quite possibly. And I think it is, you know, something that we we definitely do. Do see in 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 the business world as well this this conversation are are some very successful business leaders bordering on psychopaths and this is where Elon Musk comes in. We're not going to dedicate the whole episode to him, but we will be talking about or using Elon as an example because he has given us just some very recent behaviours to to reflect on. But absolutely similar to the experts, you know. My psychology spidey since started working, you know looking at uh, elon's um uh, management of the twitter layoffs and and his subsequent behaviors um and just you know the relationship between creativity intelligence and and mental illness um which is well documented um you know and particularly you know the connection between exceptional ability and psychopathology um and I think most people will actually. When they start to think about it, we'll, we'll recognize this connection. I think this term genius is particularly associated with mental illness. You know, as far back as Aristotle, you know, there's no great genius without a mixture of madness was something that he said. And of course, one of the most famous examples, um, John Nash and his diagnosis as a schizophrenic.
1: John Nash is the guy from The Beautiful Mind.
0: Yeah, he is, yeah. That's
1: the film. If, if you've not seen it, it is an incredible film. Uh, Russell Crowe, I think, plays mm. plays the character. But he, as you said, he struggled with paranoid schizophrenia. Um, and then he won the Nobel Peace Prize. But according to the film, and I don't know how true to life this is, you know, he still sees people, he still hears people, he's still got lots of characters in his life who are still talking. Uh, Talking to him. I seem to remember that in your Masters, your thesis was on something like this.
0: It was. It was on the relationship between dark side personality traits and work performance. So to give you a bit of background late 90s early noughties research has really started to i guess reignite the view that normal and abnormal personality are basically extensions of each other abnormal personality meaning um, a personality disorder Um, and that personality disorders are simply extreme forms of normal behavior so on the continuum i think we've talked about this before on the podcast Mm. about personality on being trait based on, on a continuum so because of that research linking personality and job performance started to venture into what we call subclinical measures of psychopathology um, or a catchy term the dark side of mm-hmm. personality um, so yeah it was it was the hogan development survey that i used in, in my thesis so hogan and hogan psychologists um, amazing psychologists and researchers they were real pioneers in in both the research and practice of dark side personality um, and it started because in the late 90s they saw a correlation or, or a relationship between certain scores on the profile and problem managers
1: when you say profile, was this, what do you mean by profile?
0: So profile was an inventory. Um, it was actually used by clinical psychologists at the time to measure personality disorders. So um, profile
1: is like PR, it's like an, an acronym. No, acronym or something, is it?
0: Yeah, so P-R-O-F-I-L-E, Got capital you. Okay. So profile, yeah. Um so yeah, so they, they, were, they were using this to in their research and found this relationship between schools on, on this profile tool and problem managers. And that's where the idea for the Hogan Development Survey came from. Um, so it's a, whereas the profile is a clinical inventory, the Hogan Development Survey is a non-clinical inventory um, that's basically used to assess behaviours um, that adversely affect performance or reputation um, of people at work. And also as a tool that then could be used for professional development and development. Coaching. Um, so because of that, they wanted to create a non-clinical tool based on clinical conditions. The Hogan Development Survey, or the HDS, just for ease, um, was developed using the DSM descriptions of personality disorders. If you're a regular listener, you'll remember the DSM from our imposter syndrome episode. Um, it's a diagnostic and statistical manual manual of mental disorders catchy, Um, but basically what um, clinicians use to to diagnose um, uh, psychological disorders. Um, So the 11 scales on the HDS inventory, each one is linked to a personality disorder on the DSM.
1: We have got an expert guest on today, um, a lad called Sandy McKenzie, who knows plenty about Hogan and how to interpret the results.
2: So I'm a, a managing partner for a, a global uh, talent organisation called AMROP. We're an organisation founded back in 1977, um, over a 1000 employees, 55 locations around the world.
1: So as you've heard, Sandy's basically a seasoned practitioner in the Hogan Development Survey. And he helps executive leadership teams to better understand their behaviours um, when they want to have high performing teams and sustainable success. And this is both obviously from an individual level um, to the organisational level. Um, he also also is an executive leader, leadership coach an expert in the Hogan psychometrics. And you're going to hear a really interesting guy. So the first thing we asked him, in fact, what, what was the first thing we asked him, Leah?
0: I think the first question is, is quite rightly, why should leaders and organisations really care about psychometrics and what are the benefits of, of using them to assess and understand leadership behaviour? So this is what Sandy had to say on that.
2: But it's a trying to recognise and understand and extract and develop the behaviors that make individuals and organizations successful we have a a slightly corny slogan that says if we can make an individual happy we can make a team happy which means we can make an organization happy and if we can combine all of that it equals high performance and a lot of that captures behaviors and, and well-being um and and sort of really interesting aspects like that and it's it's an area that people don't like to talk about often Um, you know, very strong willed senior executives don't want to necessarily be vulnerable or talk about behaviours or things that they've done right or or wrong. Um, Sometimes it's easier just to fire and hire.
0: I think Sandy makes a really good point there. And I think it is you know, your behaviors as a leader do impact other people, and that can be for for good and and for worse. Um, so, really, using these types of psychometrics is about making sure that the behaviors of leaders within the business are constructive rather than destructive. Um, and without examining these behaviors, they're just they're just going to repeat themselves.
1: So. We asked Sandy a little bit more about the HDS and his take on what it is and why it offers a unique perspective on leadership, personality and behavior. And this is what he said.
2: Most assessment tools are fairly well aligned. So the Hogan personality inventory tool is similar to others in terms of the outputs they're they're essentially all based around the, the big five personality traits of neuroticism, extroversion, Uh, agreeableness, conscientiousness, and and openness. The unique factor with Hogan is none of the other assessment tool platforms provide the dark side, Uh, and this is the Hogan Development Survey. So he's mentioned
1: there these five traits. Now, am I saying this right? Five personality traits?
0: Yeah, the big five personality traits. Um, So, yeah, I guess they just unpack a little bit of the theory behind this. so. Personality research and practice has typically have been divided into normal and abnormal and abnormal referring to a, a clinical personality disorder and the dominant theory in normal or what is called bright side personality research um, and practice as well is the big five extroversion so that's being gregarious assertive, uh, excitement seeking. Uh, The second is agreeableness um, so this is being straightforward, uh, trusting or altruistic, conscientiousness um, so very much about being self disciplined, dutiful um, very achievement focused Then we have neuroticism. Um, That's often defined by anxiety, vulnerability, impulsiveness. um, And then finally, openness to experiencing feelings, ideas, um, actions, or values. So these are the big five personality traits or the big five model you might see referred to as well. And of course, while no theory is without criticism, uh, the big five is actually one of the most comprehensive and widely accepted theories of of personality.
1: So what we're saying... If I've got this right, is that those five personality traits re- they refer to you whether you're bright side or dark side? It's 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 not a question of oh, there's another five for dark side. Those are the five that people get measured against.
0: Not quite. <laughs> so <laughs> the 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 big five are the dom- is the dominant theory in bright side uh, personality. But what we're saying is that dark side personality traits are just an extension of these um, or or personality disorders are an extreme form of normal behavior. So when the Hogan Development Survey or the HDS was developed um, using the DSM descriptions of personality disorders, um, as I mentioned before, each one uh, was linked, each scale on the hogan development survey was linked to a personality disorder in the hds so for example the hds has a scale called mischievous um now when scored highly that describes someone as uh, risk-taking um testing their limits so lots about innovation perhaps um but if behavior becomes destructive um people can become manipulative deceitful exploitative um and those those traits in themselves correspond with the antisocial personality disorder on the DSM. So that's characterized by law-breaking, lying, impulsivity, and, and a lack of remorse. So there is, you can kind of see that this extension of going from, you know, risk-taking, testing limits, them being manipulative, deceitful, to them being law-breaking, lying. Um, this is kind of how these, these traits um, manifest over that continuum.
1: So if we're talking about the antisocial personality disorder, which is part of this DSM, then is that what you would describe someone who's a psychopath?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so psychopaths, sociopaths as well, are considered to have a severe form of antisocial personality disorder. Um, And I think when, you know, you just look back at some of those those characteristics there, it does make you question Elon Musk's psychopathology. um, You know, does he have a serious mental disorder? Is he? psychopath um which is why we wanted to speak uh to sandy which is our who's our guest as i said uh behind the hds um and we just start to explore elon um elon's psychology um and personality through this lens of dark side um so i asked sandy to profile elon musk on the hds based on what we know about his upbringing his career his recent behaviors um, and the results were really, really interesting. Um, but before we um, we dive in, if you want to follow along, we are gonna post the the kind of the mock HDS that Sandy produced for us on our socials. And so if you want that visual to follow along, um, then that's that's useful to have. And before we do, I guess as well one big caveat with this we're not saying that anyone who scores highly on the hds is going to have a personality disorder that's not how this works and in fact hogan makes a really or hogan assessment systems who are the creator of the hds make a really important um uh, distinction that you know under certain circumstances these traits may actually be strengths um it's more that under pressure or under stress they can become counterproductive sandy explains a bit more
2: and i actually tend to call it more the hogan development survey than the dark side uh because i think the dark side has sort of connotations of destruction and evil and and bad and and in many ways what the hogan development survey is is it's actually an indicator of people's strengths but but it's those strengths that at times of significant levels of pressure frustration um uh emotional imbalance um which could be anything it could do you know as simple as just having a bad night's sleep uh through to things that are going on in your private life um but the sorts of things that will just create blind spots um in somebody's normative um sort of psychological state um that that, that becomes the derailer, in essence, to themselves, to their team, to their career, uh, to the organisation that they might work with, and it, it starts with an individual, but it, it 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 travels out and it relates to teams as well, where you end up with unifying um, uh, uh, HDS. Um, um, scale scores in essence, which which kind of, you know, uh, um, uh, make the problems and the challenges associated with the HDS that much more enormous. and And that's when you get cultures forming within businesses that can be poisonous in some cases.
1: So what we're saying here, if I've understood it, is that There is kind of a fine line behind or between the strengths and the weaknesses. And at times of like massive stress or challenge, we've talked about Twitter and and Musk, um, then our biggest assets can suddenly become the traits that are going to derail us and in some extreme circumstances could potentially like destroy us.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's why the HGS is such an interesting and and powerful tool, because it does work to identify the strengths, but also the associated risks ahead of time. And then through, you know, follow up coaching, leaders can build that that self-awareness, you know, to make sure that, that they remain strengths and they remain strengths that enable performance. The dark side is not necessarily bad. And in fact, in some cases, it, it really could actually provide the competitive advantage that that a business needs. Um, so yeah, let's go back to to Sandine and hear some more on that.
2: In our business, we're not looking to rule somebody out because they've got a a high risk score. In, in some ways, that's a good thing. It's a demonstration that when the chips are down and you need an extra boost of of you know energy and an extroversion to kind of move into fifth sixth and seventh gear to really change the status quo you're going to get that from somebody who's scoring as a high risk so you know the best leaders in the world are plastered in high risk scores but but you know what they what makes them great what makes them fantastic is their eq it's the ability to harness those those dark side or or development traits as opposed to let them roll out with complete disregard and you know that that's probably linked into some of the challenges with with elon musk of course
1: now sandy mentions the term eq there i know that it's become a lot more popular and people know what it is but just in case someone's listening and thinking i don't know what eq is could you maybe define that for some for us
0: of course so eq um also known as emotional intelligence um so EQ is the ability to perceive, interpret, control, evaluate, use our emotions, um, both in terms of to, to communicate with others, but also to relate to others effectively. Um, some experts actually suggest that emotional intelligence is now more important than IQ for success in, in work and life, given the the VUCA world that that we're living in. VUCA, another term for another day, sorry. Um, <laughs> but what Sandy is basically saying here is that The EQ has the potential to moderate these dark side personality traits. Simply, simple case being, if we're better to understand and perceive and interpret the emotions, not only our emotions, but the emotions that trigger these destructive behaviors, then we're going to be more likely to moderate them and then reduce the risk of them impacting us, our performance, and also that of our teams.
1: That all makes sense. So what happens when we
2: do derail? If, if I, on the one hand, talk about somebody like, you know, Boris Johnson or Donald Trump. So these are individuals who are likely to have, you know, very, very high risk scores around three or four of their scales that are linked to being charming and interesting, to being confident and assertive, to being outgoing and socially skilled. There is no way they would have got to where they've got to if it wasn't for the positive effects and the depth and high risk nature of of their scores in that respect but of course what happens over time and particularly as politicians is you start to make promises to the people that have elected you and when those promises then unfold and and they start to not become true or they don't happen people will start to lose faith or, or lose interest and they start to point the finger and say liar you said you were going to do this and now you're not so you know Boris Johnson making you know I- examples of uh, uh manifestos which you know just haven't haven't happened or you know being on television and and making promises of of what he you know is going to do and that it just doesn't happen you know so that's a great example of mischievous charming and interesting selling to the crowd drawing them in uh and then on the flip side when it becomes a strength overused you you're, you're ending up with risk taking uh limit testing untrustworthy um self-promoting dramatic attention seeking you know these are the examples of when those strengths become derailers i was trying to think of a positive example in the extreme somebody that somebody that everybody could relate to and i was kind of thinking about neil armstrong so neil armstrong went to the moon so you know when it comes to his his appetite for risk you know where do, where do we, where do we think he was in appetite to the risk i mean he went to the moon um, it's pretty high so you know you're gonna see some high hds scores in his scoring scales but of course here and of nasa i'm sure test this to the nth degree high eq so this is an example of somebody who yes has the the risk appetite and the and probably the ability to lean into his strengths as high risks but fundamentally has the eq to be able to manage those risks. Imagine how your emotions are feeling strapped to a rocket about to blast out into space and being able to keep a hold on yourself and manage that. So that's a great example of where you are looking at maybe the scales of, you know, the ability to deal with those very, very difficult decisions, but actually manage that situation. And that's a great example, I think, of probably, you know, EQ, self-awareness and, and self-management of of um, your, your HDS schools.
0: Some great examples there from Sandy. I love that he gave a, a positive example there as well. But I think Boris Johnson is such a good example. As I was listening to Sandy then, I was thinking about, do you when he made quite a few visits to Ukraine during the war when there was, there was like massive opposition to him even being prime minister in the uk say that kind of attention seeking behavior that grandiosity Mm -hmm. it's yeah, it is, it's a great example. So let's in, let's dive into Elon Musk, um, and let's look at the profile that Sandy has put together for us. As I've said, a copy will be available on our socials, Truth Lies Work um, on Instagram and everywhere else, and um, we'll pop it on our LinkedIn as well, and leave a leave a link in the show notes. Um, but yeah, so once you've you've got that in front of you, um, here's Sandy to talk us through what we're looking at.
2: The, the HDS is basically made up of eleven scales. Uh, each of those scales giving us insight into the personality of the individual that we're looking for, and it's scored on a scale of zero to a hundred. And effectively, anything that is above ninety in that score is a high-risk derailleur. So it's a high-risk, it's a it's a strength, um, but it's but it's a high-risk derailleur. Anything between seventy uh, and and ninety is a medium-risk derailleur. And in the main, what we're really looking for and talking about are the high risk. So you're mentioning that,
1: or Sandy's mentioning there, this high risk. I wonder if you could just clarify that a little bit for us and just say, what does high risk actually mean?
0: So leaders are classified as high risk because they're prone to these frequent um, and quite intense maladaptive behaviours. So for highly visible leaders that have lots of, of responsibility, job stress may become more frequent and therefore this self-monitoring of these less effective behaviours um, not, not kept in check. So that's what it means to, to be high risk.
1: And a lot of what Sandy and you are both saying is this derail. So can you give us an example of or what derailing actually means in practical terms?
0: Um, so in this context, derail means to behave in a way that is basically counterproductive or destructive to our reputation um, and could ultimately um, do significant damage. So to give you a very current real-world example and our case study for today, Elon Musk, yes, all of his recent questionable actions around the layoffs have been directed at Twitter, but that has also damaged his reputation, which is reflected in the massive um, drops in stock prices we've seen at Tesla.
1: So if I've got this right, then so if we talk about someone who already is is showing dark side personality traits, um, and they start they don't have the EQ necessarily to rein it back in. And something happens that starts to take they get excited. and, And they come off the rails, then would that be like Trump when he incited those riots in that he's got such an ability to lead a group of people, whether he's right or wrong, or whatever you believe in, but he's got a great way to lead people. But that just went too far
0: yeah absolutely it's a really good example and it is this you know this this risk taking behavior this testing of the limits um, and yeah just this this whole snowball um that we saw with trump you know he didn't start his presidency by supposedly inciting riots um that is how he he ended it and i think that's where i I found the conversations around um boris johnson at the time the whole party gate scandal it's like what's the big deal he had a glass of wine with some mates after work and it's like yes but what we're starting to see is somebody who is starting to take more risk-taking behaviors starting to engage in law breaking, start to see themselves as above the law. So yeah, having a, a drink against COVID regulations is perhaps just the kind of the first, you know, the first tip um, that, that could happen for it to be much more destructive, which is why quite rightly his behaviour was taken very, very seriously. So, as I've said, if you score above 90 on the HDS, this is seen as a high risk. And typically, you know, as as um, Sandy said, great leaders are, are pepped in high risk scores. And typically between one and three. Um, what's interesting, as you would have seen, uh, Sandy estimates that Elon has seven high risk scores. Let's find out more.
2: Yeah. So, look, you know, first of all, we're looking at a scale called Excitable. Um it's it's looking at the individual's emotional um control and uh particularly in moments where they get excited about projects and people. Uh it's about being uh, uh enthusiastic in essence when it's kind of been kept at a sort of a, a mid-range uh about people and projects. With Elon, you know, inevitably we're talking about somebody who's off the chart, a hundred, um, in terms of his scale. So this is somebody who you know invests huge amounts of um energy and enthusiasm into anything that he's doing you know ventures tesla even with twitter now and, and others it's it's a real all or nothing approach and and the derailer is that whilst you can be incredibly positive on the you know in one moment you can very quickly become very um uh um disappointed in people and projects um, on the other, and and you know the the volatility and unpredictability that you can see in that is going to be somebody who is on the one hand driving positively, um, somebody who let's say is in charge of one of his Tesla projects, and then a week later he's decided to fire them. You know uh, the the statistics were indicating that the project was sort of behind. Uh, uh, behind time or something like that, you know and and he's just lent into that sort of energy score which people feed off and suddenly it becomes volatility and crash bang, um sharp decision, get rid, start again, let's get somebody new in, complete disappointment or failure um and you see it a lot in entrepreneurs as well where they start, fail, start fail, start, fail, until eventually something um you know lands and and is the big sort of dream thing that they sell or whatever that they do with it so it's quite a common trait that you all tend to see in um in neurodiverse people but also in um uh in entrepreneurs skeptical is the second um it's to do with social insightfulness um the surroundings um that that, that you're seeing that other people might call it wisdom for example um but it's really sort of the uh, you know being able to read the social cues and situation around you and i think you know this is probably an area linked to the uh, Asperger's diagnosis and, and also what you mentioned earlier about just being black and white. You know, he he clearly has a problem with seeing and understanding social cues. I think he's aware of it and he's obviously read a lot and he's tried to work on it, you know, through his childhood and, and teenage years and and even up to now. But, you know, that's something which isn't going away and it's probably something which is a major challenge for him. So I've scored him very low on this because you know what we're saying is is that he doesn't have that social insightfulness he doesn't have that ability to to kind of see what's going on around him uh, and in a near analysis we would be picking that up and sort of saying look a development area here is you, you need to read the room a little bit more or you need to try and work out how to engage and understand people's intentions and be a bit more insightful and and, and you know in terms of how you're perceiving and picking up situations around you
1: just a quick one. Um, Sandy mentioned their neurodiversity. Now, I know that that seems to be, I've seen a lot more articles about that in the last couple of years than I ever did before. Um, not 100% sure I understand exactly what neurodiversity is. What, what does psychologists define it as?
0: So you're right. Neurodiversity is brilliantly being talked about a lot more. But neurodiversity is basically a word that is used to explain the unique ways that people's brains work. Right? So... Everyone's brain will develop similarly, but no two brains function the same. We even see that, you know, in identical twins. They don't function exactly the same. Being neurodivergent means that you have a brain that works differently from the average or neurotypical person. So, for example, perceptual reasoning, verbal reasoning, processing speed, working memory, people who are neurodiverse operate literally and figuratively on a different level you know on this potentially genius level within these particular ways of thinking um it's thought 15 to 20 percent of the population um are neurodiverse um and it can include any condition that affects some but not all thinking skills so commonly uh, dyslexia dyspraxia add adhd adhd um autism and Asperger's are all examples of neurodiversity And it was actually in in May last year, uh, May 2021, Elon Musk was on Saturday Night Live um, and actually shared that he has Asperger's syndrome. Asperger's is basically a a form of autism, but what distinguishes it and why it's classes it is its own separate syndrome is that people with Asperger's typically have very strong language skills um, and very strong intellectual ability, usually very high IQ. Um, So yeah, it's associated in terms of behaviours very, very good focus, lots of persistence, um, an incredible aptitude for recognizing patterns, um, and also having a, a higher attention to detail. Um, as I mentioned, you know that it does neurodiversity does come with, with unique challenges as well. For somebody with Asperger's, they can have difficulty with social interactions. They may have more restricted interests um, and just find it difficult. You know that give and take of of a conversation. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think the the best person to sum up is Elon himself. Um, He actually, you know, said of his his Asperger's, you know, um, to quote, I know sometimes I say or post strange things, but that's just how my brain works. To anyone who's been offended, I just want to say I reinvented electric cars. I'm sending people to Mars in a rocket ship. Did you think I was going to be a chill, normal dude?
1: (laughs) love it love it so now we know much more about interpreting the results of the hds um let's go back to sandy and find out how elon's environment might have influenced his behavior
2: um the third score is reserved um so again a bit like excitable i've I've scored this a hundred like nothing in between um and i think the thing about reserved it's an interesting one and i think I went with this because it links back to probably his childhood where, you know, he wasn't a popular kid, he was bullied. Um, You know, he he was bullied for being different and I think he probably built up a very independent uh, resilience internally, which was probably just not to trust anybody, quite frankly, other than himself. Um, And so I think think whilst we see a very extroverted individual based on Twitter and because he's sort of so widely recognised, I, th- I think he's a very vulnerable and and very reserved individual in fact internally and you know the, the 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 sort of the derailer that's associated with that is that you know that that can lend towards becoming very socially withdrawn very tough and actually uncommunicative um uh, when it become when it becomes a a a derailer you know when it's when it's when it's sort of a positive it's about being very independent very objective you know not needing a lot around you to 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 make hay of the situation and surroundings but uh you know i think definitely there's a, a there's a, a a sort of a reserved introvert as well that exists potentially with him and i think that again is perhaps why we see such massive sort of swings in his Um, behaviour patterns as well, Um, you know, probably built up through years and years of defence mechanisms to sort of deal with what he had to deal with uh, as a a child. There's a cluster of scores now, which is bold, mischievous, colourful, imaginative. And this cluster represents behaviours at a macro level that we would say are moving against people. So these are the fight behaviours as opposed to the flight behaviours that you might typically recognise. Um, And so the sort of quick run through of what you'd expect from bold, mischievous, colorful, imaginative, because I've scored all of these a hundred. He's, he's off the chart. Uh, So this is about being confident and assertive. It's about being charming and interesting, outgoing and socially skilled, innovative and and creative. And I think, you know, in what he's achieved and what he does, I think, you know, I think we can see all of that in terms of what he's done, but this is the bit where the major derailers, um, you know, for me occur. The potential strength overused as a derailer becomes entitled, arrogant, overestimates competence, risk-taking, limit-testing, untrustworthy, attention-seeking, self-promoting and dramatic, eccentric, impractical, and lacking in focus." you know these are the the sort of words that are typically used to describe the the hogan derailer at the very sort of top end and they're all contextual so you have to put them into sort of different situations and scenarios to kind of interpret you know the extremity of that but i think with elon we're, we're talking about extremity and i'm trying not to swear but but you know i could probably add a few swear words in there to kind of um, you know accentuate some of those comments but um i'll I'll try to avoid that um, but yeah you know this is a guy who moves against people? There's definitely some flight behaviors, which is that reserved and that excitable score. Um, but I think he, you know, he he that's where he's built up the defense mechanism. And and what tends to happen is you see that I'm going to fight this situation for no reason that you know for no reason at all. Potentially, you know, there's a there's a, a there's a case to sue somebody. I'm going to sue them. Get the lawyers onto it. I don't care how much it costs. Do you know what? I don't even realise what the 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 reason is? I it, it's just my natural mechanism to fight, fight, fight.
1: So this is really interesting. So once you look into each one of these scales, you can start to see how the scoring is matching up with the behaviour we're seeing. And we're not picking on Elon Musk. It's just that he is most probably the most famous leader right now at the moment in November 2022. Um, so I'm intrigued. How, as a psychologist, are you going to sum this up? How did he measure up on what you think?
0: So as, as I mentioned earlier, each of the scales on the HGS is related to a personality disorder on the DSM. We're not saying if you score highly, and I can't stress this enough, we're not saying if you score highly on the HTS, you have a personality disorder. That's not the case. But if we're imagining personality traits as this continuum, then the dark side of personality is much closer to personality disorders than the bright side of personality. So I think what it, it, a really useful comparison is to really demonstrate when these things derail to the point where they become real i mean really derail like elon musk level derail um then you know they they might start to become clinical and we can use we can find some really interesting examples to kind of bring this all all to life so let's as, as sandy said there's a there's a few kind of a cluster of scales there um so let's just delve into kind of the, the psychopathology of those so first sandy talking about bold which is a scale on the hds um So bold is related to narcissistic personality disorder on the DSM-5. So that's characterized by an inflated sense of self-importance, a lack of empathy, um, need for constant attention, need for admiration. um, And, you know, history is really littered with narcissists. Um, They do make their mark in the world for good or bad. Um, Adolf Hitler, John Crawford, as we've said, Donald Trump um, are examples of of narcissists, um, just to name a few.
1: And they would score highly in bold.
0: They would score highly on bold on the HDS, exactly yeah. Um, So the next HDS scale that Sandy mentioned there is mischievous. Um, So that's related to the antisocial personality disorder on the DSM-5. So antisocial personality disorder, um, repeated law breaking, um, impulsiveness, aggressiveness potentially, complete lack of remorse. Um, As we've said, psychopaths, sociopaths are said to have an extreme form of antisocial personality disorder. So yeah, killers such as as Ted Bundy um, And Jeffrey Dahmer thought to to be afflicted with antisocial personality disorder. But as we've said, it's not just limited to killers. Al, have you heard of Kenneth Lee? Lee?
1: I think he's the Enron guy, yeah? He is. So if I remember, he was basically the CEO of Enron before it went bankrupt. And he was, I, I think he was the highest paid CEO in America about a year before they went bankrupt. But when the company got in trouble, he was telling his employees to buy stock to prop the price of the stock up whilst he was getting rid of his own. So basically, his employees were buying the stock that he knew was going to be worthless whilst he got out of his own position, which is obviously not a great thing for someone to do.
0: Which is quite shocking, really, isn't it? But but yeah, I think that is a really good example of that kind of callous disregard, not caring about you know financial ruin of other people, no remorse over it. At all, you know, they're, they're classic signs of antisocial personality disorder.
1: Brilliant. So that was mischievous, the second one.
0: Yes, that was mischievous. Brilliant. So the next one that we have, uh, the third scale in this cluster on the HGS is colourful. Um, and this relates to something called histrionic personality disorder or more commonly dramatic personality disorder. So, yeah, um, exaggerated emotions, attention-seeking behaviours, Um You know, usually people with histrionic personality disorder are characterized as flirty, seductive, charming, manipulative, impulsive, um, lively. Um, You've actually probably heard of histrionic personality disorder um, because Amber Heard was publicly diagnosed with it during her trial with her ex, Johnny Depp. I am quickly interrupting this phenomenal podcast to recommend another phenomenal podcast. Anyway, listen to Nudge wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I think I've met a few of these. In fact, I went out with a girl in my 20s who threw my shoes out of a window. And she, what she, did you do? Like, <laughs> 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 I don't want to get into that. Um, but, but the fact is, yes, it's exactly that. Very flirtatious, very seductive, very charming. And it's not just, you know, theme of the opposite sex or whoever you're attracted to. Um, there's a lot of people I've worked in business who just come across as so like, likeable, but then you just end up like, you go along with them for a night out and you end up in jail or something as they head off on their uh, on their private jet. Another
0: story for of
1: the time I think <laughs> exactly so this was colourful the third one
0: that was colourful yeah which is linked to histrionic or dramatic personality disorder so the final scale uh, that Sandy talked us through there um, on the HDS is imaginative and that's related to schizotypal personality disorder Um, so people with this personality disorder often described as odd eccentric uh, might not have many close relationships um, typically don't really understand how relationships form um, or really have an appreciation of the impact of their behaviour on other people I guess you know, popular culture probably see them as like the odd creative types. Um, so, some speculate that Vincent van Gogh, uh, the artist, had um, this disorder, um, and is a fictional character. Discussed quite a lot um, in terms of uh, schizotypal personality disorder is Willy Wonka. <laughs> um, so, someone who has very unusual perceptions, bodily illusions suspicious paranoid um very odd eccentric behavior and appearance as well magical thinking and yeah potentially a lack of close friends which is why i needed charlie oh so yeah we'll, we'll come back to personality and disorders and his uncle oh, that's true he did have his own lumpers different type of dynamic, that though, there was it friendship <laughs> employees i don't know um tell us what what do you think uh, but yeah we'll we'll come back to personality disorders shortly but first let's hear about elon's suspected score on the diligence scale at the hds which is related to obsessive compulsive disorder on the dsm
2: he will nitpick to get something absolutely perfect and right And if somebody else can't do it, I think he would probably end up jumping in himself and micromanaging the situation. Um, So I think his corporate politics in terms of how he respects board versus executive team versus, you know, N-1, for example, are probably terrible. He just doesn't think in a structured way about that or the impact of his actions. He'll just plow through any structure you know, which is that sort of almost micromanagement tendency, which is founded on his desire to be a perfectionist in in what he's doing. He's an innovator, a creator, and, and he wants it to be the very best product that it can. So, you know, I was feeling that actually, you know, he he, he will move towards people like engineers or people that are able to aid and support him in fulfilling his, his dream and have a very short fuse in terms of, you know, if if the, if they don't help him and he sees no further use to them, that's when you get the right chop. You're out of here. Um, you know, and we saw that with uh, one of his engineers. Uh, I think it was Eric um, Bronehoffer, for instance. Um, you know that he just sort of got rid of very quickly, and his laptop just shut off, and he couldn't get it back into it, and that was the signal to say he's been fired, for example.
1: Now, I read something, or in fact, it might have been an interview I saw with uh, Elon a little while ago, and he said when he was building Tesla, he said that he was on the brink of bankruptcy for about three years, and he moved into the factory, and he said he his, his quote, well, I'm slightly misquoting here, I'm sure, but he said, I lived in that factory for three years, I slept on the floor, um, and so no, I know more about manufacturing than anyone in the world. Now, that just kind of just sums up exactly what Sandy was just saying there. There's no doubting he's a visionary, and we also need people like like this in the world to drive this innovation. But it's how this is done that is gonna determine his sustained success, I think.
2: We need the Elon Musk high HDS people, you know, in our world, Um, you know, there is is, as much as there's a lot wrong in terms of how he has gone about doing what he has done. um, it, It comes from a place and an individual who just sees the world in a particular way and he's driving innovation you know what he's doing and what he believes in um you know rightly or wrongly you know will do things for society engineering you know the economies of the world um it's how you do it that that's the thing because there are others that are you know with you carry the same traits, but they seem to be able to do it very differently. You know, Mark Zuckerberg, um, you know, as a comparator, you know, probably carries some similar traits and, and probably through fame and fortune has developed stronger, you know, HDS scales from perhaps the, you know, the chap who was at university way back when um, because of his position. And and maybe that's given him strengths and powers and and beliefs that, you know, he he now has that he didn't have before. But it's how you go about um, operating from one day to the next. He's had to do a similar thing at Meta in terms of the layoff of staff. But if you look at the way he's done it versus the the Elon Musk approach, um, you can see based on some of the comments there that I've made where, Musk has taken the derailer to the extreme. I mean, he carried a sink into the headquarters in San Francisco just so that he could write a a tweet that said, "Entering Twitter HQ." Let that sink in. Um, You know, ridiculous, right? This this was on the twenty sixth of October. So, you know, I was reading uh, Mark Zuckerberg's, um, you know, similar letter to employees that you know had so much more thought, caring he had to do the same thing, done similarly, but, but the sort of the how, if you like, was done with a lot more compassion and, and empathy potentially. And that may be that Mark is slightly different, but but probably slightly more self-aware and or recognises it and has people around him um, that helps to control, you know, some of those derailers.
0: So what we are saying is that leaders at school highly on the HDS are undeniably huge, huge assets to their organisation, but they are also high risk. So it's important that we understand what triggers leaders to derail.
2: The the other aspect, final aspect, uh, is that you know this isn't just about the individual and how they are and what they might need to do to change. It's, it's also about you know the the, the people or the team. Or organization that's interacting with that individual, you know, if we know what this individual is like, then maybe it's not always a negative, and what we think is a negative could actually be a positive. Uh, and therefore, what can I do um, to facilitate this individual and their HDS scale scores to get the best out of them? Uh, am I the trigger? i could I could easily be the trigger if I know that somebody is you know super highly processed and regulated and I'm just a complete entrepreneur um, you know it's it's you know I'm potentially being the catalyst without knowing about it to that individual's HDS uh, scale score so so what can I take away from that to kind of understand more about the individual and sort of create a more harmonious uh, situation where they can lean into those strengths and and gain higher performance from it?
1: So if I've understood this right, then what we're talking about this trigger is the environment is something that's happened the people they work with. So if someone was advising um, uh, Musk and they said, um, obviously, in the SpaceX and the Tesla environment, everything is highly controlled, highly engineered. It's all based on, you know, a lot of it's based on software processes, et cetera, et cetera. And then... Elon said to his coach, I'm thinking of going and buying Twitter, which is like 98% human, 2% code. Then do you think that the coach might be saying, well, look, this is a triggering thing for you. This is what's really going to push you over the edge.
0: It's interesting that you say that. Sandy had a similar thought. Uh,
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating reading, but the timeline that dates back to around about the sort of the 5th of April. When he was informed he was joining the board, and then on the 11th of April, informed that he wasn't joining the board, but no explanation was being given. Now, you know, who's beating up Parag at the time as the CEO for effectively announcing to the world uh, that he's joining and then he's not with no explanation? Like Elon Musk's derailers are now going supersonic. In terms of his fight syndrome and, you know, the way he's been treated in that respect as a main shareholder, I'm going to take this company and I'm going to rip it up and you're going to get fired. And, you know, the perspective of why he's done it has probably got lost along the way. And that's why what we've seen in the in the months after that, you know, has just been a series of lawsuits and backwards and forwards. And then there's really random point where he decides to go, yeah, actually, I am going to buy it, you know drop drop the lawsuit to do with you know scam accounts i i am going to buy it and it's kind of like you know what 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 was your MO here like what 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 was this all about you know and and the chances are it's probably just because he was pissed off about how he was treated in the first instance and he's got the money and the power and the influence and he wants to demonstrate that don't mess with me i can i can do what i want and it could be as simple as that
0: i think what's so interesting about what sandy said there you know, our, our last couple of episodes, we've talked a lot about searching for a reason. What is motivating Elon Musk to to behave in this way? You know, our, our experts on the Twitter episodes made it very clear that he didn't seem to have a plan. But maybe, darkly, this is his plan. His plan is to destroy Twitter.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, um, it's a, you know, it, it, it's a power move. Um, he knows he's not going to be elected as the, you know, as president. Um you know how else can I control the world and and get the world to see it how I see it you know it's it's in the absolute extreme um I think it's very difficult to to understand what his strategy is, and I think even probably his closest confidence don't actually know because he is so unpredictable
1: so let's get back down from a forty four billion dollar company to one that's perhaps a little smaller so listener has got a has got a company an agency um they may know that they've got high risk people in their leadership team. So how can they develop or support those people so they don't become as destructive as someone like Musk or Bezos?
0: The same way that you know leaders are supported in other areas of their development, it's about assessing and then coaching. It always comes back to building self-awareness, you know, understanding yourself, understanding your triggers, understanding your behaviors and developing effective coping mechanisms that ultimately are ultimately going to make sure that you you maintain your status as, as an effective and high performing leader.
2: I think the coaching aspect would be about helping him to gain perspective on situations in order to be able to recognize what the triggers are um and then to be able to try and learn behavior to mitigate those and i would say you know one of the key things for somebody like that is before you decide to tweet run that past your lawyer and that's why he'll continue to derail i mean i think you know the question is what would the advice be and you can give advice but the willingness of the individual to take that on board is another thing. Um, but, you know, I think if it was in a development situation, you know, with somebody who was presenting with those scores, not an Elon Musk, but they happen to to have those scores, you know, I think it would be about developing that individual's EQ, um, you know, working with an executive coach in order to help bring perspective and bring light to situations in a very calm and stable environment that understands the language that that individual prefers to speak in so that they can interpret you know where you're trying to get to in terms of setting um the the goals being relatively interventionalist i think in turn and transformative in terms of the the style of the individual perhaps also working with some of their team members as well um in order to help others recognize you know well what are the triggers that could be through other you know it might not just be that individual it, it could be the team, it could be the environment and and what could be done to to look at the wider context of that situation to make that individual more comfortable um but yeah through through the through the through the coaching mechanism particularly, there's lots of tools as as you and I both know uh from from where we met that that can be used to help you know develop that individual. That's probably the first step. it's just the acceptance that says actually, I could benefit from an independent neutral third party. And, and listen to what they've got to say to to help me.
0: As a psychologist, as a leadership coach myself, I really love behavior-based tools because of exactly what Sandy said there. You know, in terms of professional development, sometimes if we use personality-based tools, they can be a bit restrictive because someone might say, oh, well, you know, I'm an INTP. What do you want me to do about it? I'm a blue. Um, whereas, you know, if we look at it through the lens of behavior, you know, personality might not change much over time but behaviors can be modified they can be changed and they can be chosen and you know that's the amazing power of, of coaching helping people to to explore understand their behaviors and also modify and change their behaviors
1: so this goes back to we looked at um, Myers briggs uh, leanne's just alluded to with her ij baby n
0: whatever it is a b c
1: d and uh, we looked at that a few episodes ago and the um it's all about whether it's brilliant or bullshit um and the whole point that leanne was saying about myers briggs if i remember was that it's a personality based um inventory in other words it's the same as saying i am a taurus and therefore i'm going to do this whereas what we're talking about here is actually measuring the behavior and using that as an indicator
0: well, it's measuring both. It's measuring personality. It's measuring the dark side of personality, but through the lens of how does this translate into behaviors, and how did we? How can we modify these so we don't derail? It's connecting personality with behavior, and yeah, behaviors are a much more effective tool in terms of leadership development than personality can hope to be. So. With all that in mind, what did Sandy conclude about Elon Musk? And what does he predict for his future, given his suspected HDS scores?
2: Um, Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, the future is, um, you know, where the, the power and the actions of the man, which still has a lot of support, a lot of following, Um, You know, there's still lots of positives in what he's doing around electric vehicles and so on and so forth, but what happens when that turns to fear? Um, You know, when we look at the future and, you know, third world wars and things that are created by, you know, let's say nuclear situations, you know, what else are we looking, you know, at in the future? You know, when it comes to the power that's being created through things like a social media platform and, and actually where that, that, sort of dictator led um leadership style then turns to fear um you know and and maybe if i was trying to predict the future and think about the derailer aspect that that's you know certainly something that that could be the case and that will be where it will be his downfall because you know that's where regardless of how good a tesla might be i'm not buying one you know i'd i'd rather go and get a you know a a Honda or a tesla or whatever it might be you know or, or or a Peugeot, whatever it might be but it will become around not the quality of the vehicle it'll become around hate of the man or fear of the man you know and that's and that's potentially you know how his derailers might happen but there is a you know potential positive development side of that which is he'll keep doing what he'll doing he's got the money the finances the resources he's got the ability to do great things but but there's a super high risk there as well um, and, and I think it is fear that's, that's all like, that's what I can sort of see in the future from a derailer perspective.
1: So Leanne, is Elon Musk a psychopath or sociopath?
0: I think there is definitely a case for, for a diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder. I think he's made it quite clear that he does lack in empathy, um, you know, and the more recently developments we've we've seen from Twitter, this demand that people remain, um, that remain at Twitter, buy into this hustle culture, this hardcore culture. I think not only does that show a lack of remorse in terms of the way he's already gone back about his decision making, um, but also you know a lack of regard for for other people and potentially a violation of their their rights as well. Um, there are there is evidence of law breaking as well, which we've seen, um, you know, from his his Harry how and when he disclosed that he purchased so many Twitter shares, um, you know, right through to other claims in SpaceX. So, yes, I think while, of course, we can't make any firm conclusions on the psychopathology of Elon Musk, this is all conjecture. Um, I think between our research... Sandy's expertise and our knowledge of, of leadership behaviors here at Oblong I think we can be fairly confident that we are seeing that what we are seeing for sure is Elon Musk derailing um and this could very well be the start of his downfall
1: definitely interesting times it'd be fun to see come back in about six months time and see what's happened um just want to thank Sandy um just an amazing guy you can see he's got so much knowledge so if you want Sandy to help you with, Either executive search or coaching, leadership coaching, or you want to do your own Hogan uh, psychometric test, then you can find Sandy A at Amrop UK. I'll put a link in the show notes. Just make sure, and if you if you have enjoyed this, just go and find him on Twitter or something, or on LinkedIn, and just say thanks, enjoyed your episode. I think he'd really like that. So next week we're talking about psychological safety. Leanne's going to give again her opinion on it, and then we've got a great guest who's going to come on, and it's basically what he does. So uh, we'll be learning a bit more about that. So until. Next time, anything to add,
0: Leanne? I don't think so.
1: Great, thanks for joining us, and hope you've enjoyed this slightly longer episode. Give us feedback. Just find us on on the socials. Truth lies work. You search for that, and you'll find us everywhere. Won't you, Leanne?
0: You absolutely
1: will. See you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.